Okay, I give up. What are you doing? Well, as you really, that was your guess, though, that I'm masturbating. <laughs> Do you so not- you really thought I'm the type of guy between saying goodnight to my children and coming down to do intros with you. I just, just squeeze one out real quick. You know, maybe you've been with the kids all day. It's not like, you know, you're not in that mind and all of a sudden they're gone. They're out of your mind. They're safely in bed. And you're like, Oh man, I I didn't realize I was so fucking horny all day. Oh my God. (laughs) This this makes you, this makes me wonder what you do with your days. You, You like the saucy talk, Benny. You just don't like the timing. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't saucy talk what, what you're describing is like uh hey, is like creepy robin williams one hour photo talk this ain't like saucy. This is, hey you're always talking about saucy talk so if you you're fucking like wanking hey over benny there? <laughs> after these intros are you slipping into a bed lined with silk sheets bringing in fresh creams and oils like sure uh, that's sultry but if like benny <laughs> Did you jerk off between putting your kids to bed and doing the intros with me? Oh, yeah, I don't like, no, I don't I like, like that. That's like not to, sexy. I'd like to think you're relaxed, you know? That's not sexy. What I'm doing <laughs> is kind of sexy, actually, because our friend Chris Farron wrote on Twitter, okay, what are some cool lyrics for my songs? And for some reason, the thing that popped in my head was that, that part from the Humpty song. Because in a 69, my humpty nose will tickle your rear. <laughs> uh, so that's what things you sent that, him? It is. I'm actually, I could hit send right now. Should you sh- I? You should send it to him. All right. He can use send. it. You know, obviously he's not going to bite it, but he can use it for inspiration. It's on Twitter. I, it's on I'm Twitter sure now. that Chris Farron could find a clever way to twist that phrase to his own use. You know what? You can hit him up on Twitter I know something really funny about Chris Farron and masturbation that I won't talk about, but you can ask him, ask him on Twitter. You know, he loves Twitter. He makes sexy painting. So Brad. Yes. Now that you're uh, done elfing, mm-hmm. are uh, you allowed to tell me anything? Long. So Brad, full disclosure going off track listeners, Brad has been, you know, Elf Being thing. a Christmas elf, have been. helping out the displays at the fancy fur-lined rich people stores in Manhattan. Saks Fifth Avenue. It's been literally the only thing I've been doing for the last month straight. And the last fucking, oh God, I don't know, eight or nine days I've been in those damn windows installing everything. So are you allowed to talk about it now? Is the NDA over? Yeah, they just debuted last night. It's, oh. it's really cute. They're all based. They went, they asked all these kids, like, I think they might have, like, partnered with Boys and Girls Club or something. And they asked kids to, like, draw pictures of what they wanted post-COVID. That's nice. And, like, there's six themes. They're based on the actual drawings that the kids did, but they're made very professionally. It's super sweet. It's super cute. And it was really fun to put in. And I'm I'm psyched. I mean, I had I had to go in today and do some touch ups, you know. You know, I opened one of the doors, which is a small kind of hidden door, and I'm in there like doing some painting touch up and I look up and there's just this like adorable little girl like <laughs> standing, like looking at the windows, like gazing up at the windows, and she looks down and sees me there like I think I had like a I think I had one of those headlights on because there's no light yeah. behind the windows at all. Sure. 
sees old Vladimir in the window. I'm in there with a headlamp and like a brush, and she just gave me the sweetest smile. Like she was so oh. stoked. I mean, it was totally magic. It was cool. So you had a little like miracle on 34th yeah, Street moment exactly. there. Exactly. It made me feel very good about that's nice. The hell I've been through the last week, like putting him in. So you feel like you know the the work you've been doing. At least you're providing a a kind service to mankind. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, sure. I mean, the worst, most, that is worse things to do than spread Christmas spirit. The I suppose. surreal part of it is it, it, I mean, it's, it's, I like doing it. It's a fun job and it is rewarding because, you know, you end up, I do, I mean, I build the things and then I install them, but like, right. I'll tell you, you know, here I am in like my work pants, you know, I've got my mm. lunch in a bag, like scruffy dude. And, you know, I'm back there like, literally like hurting myself, you know, like yeah. smashing a fucking drill into my hand and like, <laughs> um, and you know, and then I got to go take a leak and I go out into the store and you know, like as I'm opening mm. the door, they're like, well, this handbag is, that one's 4,300 or yeah. you can have this one here is 5,400. And it's just filled with like, I mean, there's some tourists, but there's a lot of people you look at and you're like, these are rich people. Yeah. That like have too much money. It's strange seeing such opulence in these times, isn't it? Well, it's just, it's the, the difference between, I'm in these, these windows are just, you know, they're like, they're completely unfinished on the inside, you know? And it's like, right, right. And I'm in the dark and I'm like laboring and sweating. And it's like, <laughs> the difference is one door away. Like I open this door yeah, and it's yeah. like, I'm in this like mirrored diamond encrusted like world of opulence and fur coats. And it's like, I feel so grubby. It's hilarious. I and love someone it. Someone runs up and says, get me back behind the wall, peon. <laughs> you stink. You smell of sardines. I, uh, you can't have this. I don't want to stretch out the, the intro, but in the outro, I will tell you a happy holiday story about oh. rich people. Wow, look at you. You're getting good at this teaser thing. So those of you that don't listen all the way through, you got to go to the outro to hear. Well, I love it. Well, I'm glad to have you back. You seem stressed. Mm. I did think it was interesting. I always find it interesting, like the work you do and what you were telling me, how like permanent and hardcore the structures that you use there are and like how much really goes into this stuff that you kind of just walk by and take at face value. You know, it is it is interesting. Mm. Well, speaking of hardworking salt of the earth, <laughs> Lake Ariel, Scranton people. Yeah. You know, the men zingers. Yeah, they are the blue collar of punk rock, aren't they? Like, I mean, I told you, like, before the men zingers moved to Philly, my idea of them is the first hour of Deer Hunter. <laughs> you know, I just imagine like all their neighbors are Vietnam vets out in the Pennsylvania mountains, you know. It, Possible. They're connected to coal mining and drinking and hunting. And that's that's just what happens out there, right? You know, my favorite quote, maybe of all movies, is from The Deer Hunter. But it's not Titty Mao. No, it's this is this. Oh. <laughs> that's Who it. says, is that's that a walking line? No, that's, uh, that's De Niro holding up the bullet going, this is oh, this. Oh, yeah. Dude, that is a fucked up scene. To anyone who has never seen... There's a lot of fucked up scenes in that movie. (laughs) That scene of the deer hunter. Just watch the deer hunter if you haven't seen it. If you're out there and you're young, you haven't heard of it, it's worth it just to see young, young walking and young De Niro. Yeah, for sure. But that is what I imagine when I picture it. But the (laughs) Menzingers, 
I mean, listen, we've covered, they might be one of the more interviewed bands we've done. I, I even, you know, one of the things that's always fascinating about the men, and I think I've used them as a reference in like dozens of other interviews because they are like the unicorn example yeah. of a democratic band in action. Yeah. You know, they are almost like antithetical to every principle I've been learning about that makes bands work. They're one of the ones that can just manage to do what they do. You know, like they've known each other so long that it's really based on like mutual friendship, mutual respect, hearing everybody out. You know, there's nobody who feels left out in that band. And if you asked you know, a band that toured with them or worked with them, like, oh, who's like, who's the person in the Menzingers? Who's like the point person that I should talk to about this? No one can really answer, you know? <laughs> Just being, I don't know, talk to them, talk to them. They'll all talk to each other. Yeah. And it, it's one of the, it's, it's, it's a very beautiful and cool example of what you can manage to do if you can scrape away your ego long enough and just, be really kind and respectful to the people around you, you know, but it takes four, not only like compassionate people, but it also takes four adults in the room when you're still young. And I think that's the trick, you know, is like they knew something early on that like a bunch of 40 year olds know in a band and they were able to, you know, like they had that wisdom from the start. And I think that's, what's really unique. And I don't know. I've always had, so much respect for him. I, you know, came up with the Menzingers, them and Gaslight. We came up pretty much the same exact time. And uh, I don't know. I just always root for him. And Greg's solo stuff is cool, man. It's like the is lyrics it? are rad. It's taken on a different feel. Um, you know, I like hearing kind of this little bit of like Americana style in there and some of the different stuff he's doing. Stoked for Greg. Stoked to hear the rest of the album. And uh This was a fun interview, so why don't we listen to it? You know me, like I imagine your childhood somewhere to like the first hour of the deer hunter, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Like just old Vietnam vets out in the Pennsylvania (laughs) mountains. That's that's where you grew up, right? All of Pennsylvania is like that, you know? (laughs) Greg, I live dangerously close to you now. Do you really? I, I moved. I can't say where I moved, but I moved. <laughs> in He's a in Western, witness protection. That's why. <laughs> I'm in witness protection, but I'm in a part of New Jersey. Let's just say, let's just say I'm out of New York sports take radio zone. Wow. Interesting. And I'm in Philly sports talk radio zone. Let's just uh, say that. Was it is the Mad Dog? You don't get him anymore? <laughs> the Mad Dog has been gone for about... I think at least 10 years. So, <laughs> so you know how up to date I am. Yeah. I just know that from uh, driving in my, my dad's car and oh. listen to that guy. But, Mike yeah. and the Mad Dog were like these strange voices of my childhood. Because I grew up with, um, you remember the band Midtown? Yeah. I grew up with Tyler Rand, the guitar player. Okay. And I used to sleep over his house when I was a kid. And for some reason, when he was like 10 he thought he was like 85 and literally <laughs> fell asleep to the fan at night. Oh, like, you know, and that's like Steve Summers, the schmooze. That's when like, oh. 
you know, like at three in the morning, it's like, hey, this is Sal from Staten Island. The Yankees stink. You know, like just the funniest shit. Oh, man. So it's like this weird, like, you know, uh, trigger from my past. Those those crazy, mean, gruff, Italian-tinged voices are somehow comforting to me, you know? Yeah, no, I believe it. I mean, my, my dad, oh, like, um, you know, I my dad lives in Long Island and... Uh, I grew up right outside of Scranton. My mom and dad would meet halfway to kind of exchange me and my brother on the weekends kind of thing. And we would oh. get in the back as as kids and it was always the fan on WFAN. Oh, wow. And I was like, can we listen to anything besides this? No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So those voices are very, uh, you know, in a weird so, way comforting, I guess. But So your childhood, actually, you probably remember exactly what I'm talking about. Like the zone in which the fan goes away when you start driving towards Pennsylvania. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so funny, man. So how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, you know, hanging in actually, Greg, thanks for asking. You're such yeah. a nice guy. Nice, nice. Usually nice. people are like, you know what, Benny, this is what's going on. Here. Yeah. You're like, Greg, you know, what's going on with you? Um, you know, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, you know, um, well, I was just gonna say, I well, I guess you moved now. We we did the sports thing, but I was I was gonna start it off by saying I was just up, well, I guess now at your old area at MetLife Stadium last weekend. Oh, uh, did you go to the Gents? Yeah. So my my cousin plays for the Dolphins. No way. I know Ooh. it's uh so it's kind of hard to well. People are going to look this up and be like, well, he's not technically your cousin. We, I call him my cousin. So he's my <laughs> my dad's cousin's son. Okay. So it's, you know, the family. It's a cousin. It's a cousin. You know what? Yeah, it's, it's a, a form it's a of cousin. cousin. It's one of those once Yikes. removed ones, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. So, you know yeah, what? Gets, if you guys had a huge family barbecue, you're both invited, you know? It, it, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, you're good. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, so he plays for the Dolphins, um, and that was my first time in MetLife Stadium, and also my first time around Jets fans, which oh. weirdly might be worse than Eagles fans. No, uh, <laughs> I mean it's yeah. like an equal amount of drunk trashiness. Like, no offense or anything. But. It is like it is its own breed. I, I mean. Listen, as a Giants fan, you know I'm going to sit here and talk shit about both of them. Um, <laughs> You know, we're like the old man class. Our tickets cost more. Yeah. But, but no, Jets fans, it's like this weird, um, it's like this this super diehard fan base who has like had so little success. Yeah. Like imagine being a Jets season ticket holder I, I, and going I, I, to eight games a year yeah. in the freezing fucking cold <laughs> yeah. in the middle of Sea Caucus where like the wind is just twice as fast over there. I don't know why. It's like Jimmy Hoffa's <laughs> ghost like blowing around. Yeah. And... And it's like, and but, and you know, by like week six, oh, it, the season's over. I bought <laughs> exactly. all these seats, you know. Uh, so like, they just they go there. They're like, all right, let's get fucking hammered. Here's another one, you know. It's this real. They're like maybe the most despondent fans I've ever seen. Yeah. Like Eagles fans are still fighting for something, you know. Sure, yeah, and you know, like I I understood it. I guess back a while ago when like the the Bills were kind of like that, but you still you mm -hmm. had Buffalo as a city, and like you know, there's always talking like tr like the team was going to leave, and you know, it's all, all you really had. But you know, you could have the Giants if you want. <laughs> you exactly. don't have to be a Jets fan. That's what's the strange part. Well, that's what's easier about being a Bills fan is like you're going to a Bills game. You're just like you're supporting like Buffalo. 
Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's not right. like you have another option. Like, you know, you're either a Bills fan or you drive to Cleveland or you drive to New York City, you know? And mm-hmm. But when you're like a Jets fan, you got other options, you yeah. know? Like, like, it doesn't like have to be this way. Yeah, there's like <laughs> this championship parade and with the team that you literally share a fucking stadium with. It's like, <laughs> it's it's a whole nother psychological level of sports fandom, you know? Yeah. There's no jail in the basement, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, there should, there should be, though. <laughs> but I got to say, maybe, did you go to a lot of games as, as a kid? Or any no, games you know- as a kid? You know what? I didn't. I, I completely missed out on uh, going to NFL games as a kid. I don't know why. Um, I I went to to baseball games a lot. We would go to Yankee Stadium. Oh, nice. um, my dad's side were all Yankees fans, and then my mom's side were all Mets fans. Wow. So my my brother chose the Mets, and I chose the Yankees until I moved to Philly, and you know, kind of can't be a sure a Yankees fan. Um, but you know. Uh, yeah, so we, we would go to Yankees games a lot and, um, we would, we went to like one Mets game just cause it was my brother's birthday. <laughs> wow. That was about a house it. divided. Yeah. It was, it, it truly so was, was. Was that your, was that your situation? Like almost the whole time you were growing up, you split, you split time like pretty evenly. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we, we grew up with my mom in, uh, in Lake Ariel, Pennsylvania, which is, you know, about, a, it's in the woods. It's like about a half hour outside of Scranton. Okay. Um, and, uh, but you know, we were like, my parents were, they were still really close even after they split. And, uh, yeah, we would go to Long Island a lot, like once a month, usually sometimes like twice a month. And then in the summer we'd spend more time there. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it was, it's straight, you know, we, Grew up kind of in the middle of nowhere, but also spent so much time like in New York City. And like, mm. you know, I remember being like, you know, a teenager, being like 13. And I was like allowed to take the train in from Long Island to to the city. And I was allowed to do that on my own and like could go see shows and stuff. So I also had that kind of upbringing, which, you know, was definitely a lot more different than like the uh, the deer hunter kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. You know, so. Did that give you like a different, I could see where, you know, in such a, like a small town, did that give you like a different kind of air of confidence? Like, like, oh, I'm, I'm just, just in New York for the weekend. Like I'm like a little bit of like a New Yorker in a way. Like, did, did you kind of feel that gusto at all? You know, it's a good question. I think I, I just, I, I guess I never really felt like I fit in because I didn't really feel like I fit in. You know, we would go into the city and we would go to like ABC No Rio and see like Ladderman or like right. Leftover Crack, like see all these like cool shows. <laughs> yeah. And we were just like, oh my God, we are so not cool enough to be oh, part of this. No, you know? those, those were terrifying then. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. and like, do then, I have enough leather? Yeah. <laughs> we were just like, so we were like kids and we were just weren't cool enough there. Right. And then, you know, I just didn't feel like I fit in with like, you know, the small town kind of thing. So I, I felt like I just battled that a lot, uh, mm. you know, as a kid. And then I'd never really fit in with like the Scranton kids. Cause they were all, you know, they had their own thing. They were like, they had sidewalks, you know, that was like, <laughs> right. that was a big deal for me. I was like, you guys could just walk to each other's house. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was kind of always this like outsider in that sense. Did you have, is there like, is it a pretty conservative area? Yeah, I'd say so. It's, I grew up in like, uh, it's weird around there. There's all these like little communities where they, they, they made them in the seventies where a lot of like people like, New Jer- people from New Jersey and New York, they would get their second house there, you know, oh, and it's right. kind of like, it was like a mixture of like retirement, but also like vacation homes. And then huh. there's like other people that just kind of stayed year round. And my grandparents, um, 
were from Long Island and when they moved, they moved there when they retired. And then, mm. you know, then we ended up following them basically. Oh, so it started as like your family, like vacation area that yeah. turned into like where you grew up. Yeah, pretty much. Which it's you funny know, how that shit happens, right? I know. It's like, this is where you guys picked. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, man, it could have been anywhere. It's so, I just found out recently, like, like I really, like my family is all from New York City. Even my brother and sister were born in the city and I was born in Somerville, New Jersey, you know? Mm-hmm. And recently I like really like got the detailed kind of year prior to them moving. And I realized like how like Somerville, New Jersey means a lot to me, mm-hmm. but it was so arbitrary how I wound <laughs> up there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. When you think yeah. of it on like a long enough timeline, like it means a lot to me, but it was, I could have been, it could have been any fucking town. My father got a job, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it's of- I know. And I, I was born in, in Cincinnati and okay. I lived there the first three years of my life, but it was kind of the same thing. Like my dad got transferred. He worked for Jaquita Banana. And they, oh, offered no shit. Him a, they offered him like a package and him and my mom moved out there. And then they had me and my brother there. And so I, I don't have any connections like to that city, but it's right. weird because like when we were on tour, I'll go back and I'll just be like, you know, looking for something that right. like, doesn't exist. I'm like, I should have some, I should feel something here. But like I, some I, deep, like three year old memory that's just yeah. like buried in there somewhere. Yeah, I just I'm like, it's just I don't know. It, it, I tr- I try to have it, but I guess it's so. probably more yeah. primal. Like you're gonna have to go to like a like a local library for like a book reading or like yeah. you know, it's not like it's not like when you were two, you were going to like Highline Chili and playing at uh, oh geez, yeah, you know Bogarts or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I got her. I, I did much. <laughs> yeah, so you got to find like a local like toy store and just take a creepy wander around and yeah, and see, <laughs> see if that does anything. That's <laughs> pretty funny. So Lake, so uh, was your pops like a career Chiquita Banana Man? No, so he. He worked for them for a while and then he went to law school and, uh, yeah, he kind of moved around a bunch. Then he moved to New Orleans. Um, you uh-huh. know, my uncle, his brother, uh, was living there and, um, yeah, he lived in New Orleans for, I think, almost a decade. So then we would travel when we were like pretty young, we would go down there a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was another like weird kind of culture shock. Yeah, of going, for sure. You know, it, it's like, we, and then we would go down for like Mardi Gras and like Jazz Fest and these things. And yeah, for someone from Lake Ariel, you had a pretty, pretty well balanced background there. Seriously. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, we'd come back with like all these beads and I'd like hand them out in class, you know, as like a second <laughs> grader from like Mardi Gras. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, he became a lawyer. He, he moved down there and then, um, he just wanted to be closer to us and his family. So that's when he moved back to Long Island and, he ended up starting his own business in um, in Manhattan. So uh, yeah, so now everybody's kind of back in New York, and I, I still have um, some family on my mom's side that live in Lake Ariel, and uh, I, it's it's pretty much only me of my family that lives in Philly. No one no one really mm-hmm. came this way, you know. But right. uh, I got like you know all the band lives here, and um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's 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 cool. Uh, maybe it gave you your uh, your like deep love of uh, geography lyrics. You know, you know what? I, I, I think about that sometimes. I, I think it does, did because I, I spent a lot of time as a kid, like traveling around. Yeah. And I'm always 
like I was even thinking there's a, a song on this this new solo album about like about being in bus stations. And I we oh, wow. I, I started thinking about this a lot. Like me and my brother, we spent a lot of time in like Greyhound bus stations going into Port Authority. We would get put on, you know, in Scranton as kids. Oh, my mom right. couldn't drive us. And and then even when we started taking buses down to Philly um for shows and it was just it was this constant thing where I was kind of always traveling as huh. a, as a kid, and uh, yeah, it's and then immediately when we, I was, st- was turned eighteen, I think I started touring, and uh, it became you know something I always wanted to do, and was just so excited to be able to see all these places. So it just I don't know, traveling has always been a big deal for me, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that because I know I mean Menzingers, you know, were going in high school, and you kind of. You know, I know with a besides for like a short stint, or I don't know how long of a stint uh, you did do college. I know mm-hmm. at some at some point, but um, so you've kind of like gone from from traveling to traveling. It's sort of been your uh, your mo from the get. Like, have you ever really like? Do you feel like you've ever experienced like stillness or like that real connection with one place? Has COVID kind of by default, giving you that opportunity for the first time? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was pretty much it. And I didn't even ask for it. And I felt like the entire time I was just wanting to travel more. Mm. Um, You know, it's, you know. So it's really like the first time you maybe ever had to like, like sit still that long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, there's things that I appreciated about it for sure. I was like, a lot easier to to write music because it, it's pretty hard for me to write music while traveling. Sometimes, mm, yeah. uh, you know, just being on a schedule is is a lot easier. Um, obviously, uh, being home with my girlfriend was amazing. Uh, th- for that long of time, we've never I've never been home. We've never been together that long, you know, <laughs> right, where I've right. just been like together with her for like the last you know years and years now. So uh, that was cool. But yeah, I mean, there was de- definitely felt like something was missing. Um, not being able to travel. It's just, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. Did it, did it maybe like allow you to, to access any part of yourself, like good or bad that, that you hadn't, hadn't seen before? Yeah. I I mean, it was, you know, it was just such a a strange 2020 was such an insane year, you know, and it's hard to like, it's hard to talk about things in a bad way about, you know, what you went through, yeah, when you're healthy sure. and you're fine, because <laughs> like so, so many people had such insane situations. Yeah, that like they would kind of listen to my story and just be like, "That's it. That's what you're complaining about. You'd right. sit around and play your guitar all day." So I, and it's like I'm a weird very, survivor's guilt. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. I'm very conscious of like trying not to make it sound like this was a really really difficult time for me. But right. you know, it, it, in a way, you know, it was, um, and, and it, it was hard. Uh, but I think I think at the end I I think I um I read some good books <laughs> I don't know I, you know I, I became like a, a better guitar player I think I, you know I wrote a lot of songs so it wasn't like a waste I, I found that part of me that I really enjoyed the the writing part um, sure. I really was able to dedicate myself to that and you know there was no performing so I wasn't really focused mm. on that whatsoever it was just the, this writing kind of. Uh, part of me, which, you know, I've, I've kind of always preferred and enjoyed more than the performing. I love performing, but writing music has always kind of been my favorite part of the job. Huh? I know when we interviewed, uh, 
our mutual friend, Tim Barry, mm. fairly recently, he was saying how um, writing songs without the perspective of traveling kind of changed the way he saw it. Like how, mm. you know, by default, you know, you're always kind of writing songs with a live performance in mind because, yeah. you know, that's what we do. Did you find that at all? Like you were able to take that that kind of zone off of it? Yeah, 100%. And that's huh. kind of where this whole solo album came oh, you know, came to be. Right. It was like, I, it was, it felt in a lot of ways, it felt really liberating of just writing music. I, I, I really felt like I was only writing music for myself and for my own personal enjoyment. Nice. Um, and that, that was really, I haven't done that now really since I was a teenager. Every, mm. every song I've been a part of with like, you know, with bandmates, it's always been like, okay, well, you know, you're always thinking about that, that live part, like, where's the crowd going to go off? Like, is it, you know, it's building an album, all of this stuff. Yeah. And for this was, I was just like, I just want to, I'm going to write music just that I enjoy. And uh, it didn't really dawn on me to, you know, of like, well, what, who's going to play what, what is this? What's going to happen here? What's right. it going to be like live? What's, where does it fit into a set list? It didn't really matter. So it was, uh, you know, it was very fulfilling to, right in in that kind of mindset i mean on the same token i got to imagine like you know all these years you've always written not in a collaborative process but for a collaborative process so mm -hmm. i got to assume inside your songwriting it's like built in like oh, i think tom will like this joe will like this eric will like this like yeah, you probably yeah. know those guys tastes so well Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know what they hate too. You know, you're right, like, oh man, right. they're not going to go for this. Like, uh, you know, that's, and, and, and a lot of times too, when you're, when I'm coming in with an idea to the band, I try not to overwrite because you want everybody to, to be able to bring right. something to the table and right, that's kind right. of, you know, makes it interesting. But for this, it was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to totally overwrite. I'm going to do the whole thing. Like I'll, <laughs> right. I'll build the drums and I'll, I'll, you know, I have everything here. And, uh, so that was, you know, that was new uh, for me to just sit down and try to craft an entire song by myself and feel confident with it. Um, mm. You know, that was a challenge. But, you know, like yeah, I said, yeah. it was just like pretty fun to do. And then, you know, Eric really, Eric helped out a lot. He played bass on it. So I would kind of come up with, you know, the core structure of the whole song and send it over to him and he'd, he'd write a bass line to it. And then I would be able to like, tinker my stuff around to his sure. baseline. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool process. It's interesting. I, yeah, I guess, you know, th there's the upside and downside, right. It's like you, um, you know, you don't have to write with other people in mind, but then you also don't get the, uh, the feedback, right? Like yeah, someone yeah. being like, yo, that's awesome. Or, ah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you're just like, did it take a while to kind of like, did you have to make like a new filter or barometer, like to, to understand quality? <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause so many times you're just like, Oh, this rules. And then a week right. later you're like, no, no you were just excited good. about yeah, it at the moment. Yeah yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I had my girlfriend, she helped me like bounce nice. ideas and she's, and she's pretty tough. Like she'll just let me know flat out of being like, Oh, she's hey, a tough girl. Be yeah, that's, definitely. That's good. Right. And uh, you know, I'd send it to my brother and he helped out a lot of just like, Oh, I like this idea, you know, that could be a little bit cooler. And yeah. uh, definitely Eric was always, you know, I'd send him something. And um, he was kind of like, he, he was like, okay, this is definitely your project. So I'm going to not give too much input, but he would be like, I can just, I know him so well that <laughs> right. when he would get excited about something, he's like, man, I love this. this oh, yeah, that course yeah. is great. And, but then other songs is like, 
okay, here's the baseline. I'm like, ooh, he did uh, not like that like song. That <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of my gauge of just finding yeah. out like where, where people got excited. Yeah, That's funny. It's like a secret code at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, did you have like, was is all this stuff written in that time or did you have any like songs in your pocket that, that you maybe thought just weren't right for Menzingers? I had about like three songs in my pocket that I kind of just was was sitting on for a long time. And um, I just knew that I was like, these these aren't going to be Menzinger songs. I was like, if they ever see the light of day, I, I don't really know where. Um, yeah, yeah, but I kind of yeah. just had them. And, you know, I kind of was okay with it. For, for a long time, I had this idea where it was like, it's okay to write songs and then just have them for yourself. And I was, yeah, you know, it's right. always this idea that you sure. I have to give them out and have to do this. But, you know, when I picked up a guitar, I could play these songs and they just huh. really felt really personal. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I didn't true. have this urge where everybody had to hear it. I just thought that it would be mine. Huh. Um, but then when the project really started to take off, uh, that's when I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's finish these ideas and, 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 uh, you know, put them on the album. And uh, how, like, how early did you get Epitaph into it? Did you like finish the record first or they were kind of on board from the get? So the the first thing I did when I was really serious about it was I asked, I talked to my bandmates about it and they were like, just so supportive. And, uh, you know, they were just really excited. They were like, absolutely go for it. And, uh, you know, because I, 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 I wouldn't do it if, if they didn't want me to, yeah. um, you know, and I just, I kind of needed their, I don't know, I needed to hear them be excited for me to try this and sure. uh they they were so it felt it's really like asking good. like someone's dad before you marry him. It's, just, <laughs> right? it's just respect yeah. right it's like, just yeah i mean i i don't know i just didn't want to the band is means so much to me the menzingers that yeah. i i was like in my relationship with those guys that i was just like i i want to uh you know if somebody had a problem with something that i wanted to do you know i'd want them to you know talk to me about it yeah. but um you know it was right just one there of those, is a microcosm of why you guys are such a successful band. We'll oh, talk thanks. about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after, you know, after they were, you know, really supportive of the idea, um, that's kind of when I, uh, I put some demos together and sent it over to Epitaph to be like, hey, you know, um, I, I honestly didn't think that they, I thought that they wouldn't want to do it, it mm. just, but they were um, immediately like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So that was that felt really good. That kind of gave me the drive to be like, okay, like set a, a recording deadline and let's, let's go for it here. And uh, yeah, it just, you know, it felt good. We've been on the label for now for a decade. So yeah, that's crazy. all those people are just, you know, really, you know, it's, it would just feel kind of strange at this point to, to do something this like personal with, without them. So I was really glad that they were on board. Totally. And how early did you bring uh, Will into the mix? Pretty much just right after that, right when I realized I was going to do it, I, um, you know, I, I, I was, uh, the Menzinger's manager was helping me out with this project, Tim. And then Tim also manages Will. So we're very uh, like tight knit family. So I kind of went to Tim and I was like, hey, man, like, obviously I want to go with Will, but, you know, this is, this isn't like, big money project here. You know, this is kind of like a fun little thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, you think right. Will would want, he's like, let me see. And then immediately Will calls me. He's like, dude, I would do it for free, man. You got to ask me. Come nice, on. So nice, he was nice. just like, yeah, he was just on board and he was cool. like, dude, it's not about money, man. Like, you know, we're, we're buds. So, uh, right when I, you know, right, right when I knew that he was into it, 
Um, that was really exciting. And then I was just like, well, will you play drums as well? Yeah, <laughs> right, like, right. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll play drums. So uh, that that worked out well. <laughs> He's one of those unique characters, the, the utility tool. Yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing because, you know, I, I mean, my little program beats are like pretty pathetic. You know? So <laughs> having an actual drummer get in there and uh, I think he was excited too because he, he loves playing drums but hasn't like, you know, doesn't get to do it as much as he wants as as he would like to. Yeah, so right. uh, he was pretty pumped to to play. And it was funny too, because we'd just sit in the control room and he'd be like, yo, press record. And then he would just run around into the live room and then hit the beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting well used to you and your brethren's uh, use of weird little drum loops to write songs. <laughs> become a strange uh, reality for me that I didn't think I was going to have to get used to, but I certainly do now. Yeah, that's it's such an interesting thing. What's that like for a drummer? Because I think Joe is definitely just like, ah, oh, he's fucking beats. All right, I'm playing. You know, like, it, is it like an insulting thing to come in with this kind of like, you know, as a not drummer giving a drummer like a percussion idea, you know, or a, um, I don't, a beat kind of a deal? You know what? In honesty, since you asked, um, I don't think it's insulting because you know it's. It's just the way the technology has gone and I can completely yeah. understand having an idea and just putting like some little scratch thing just to get from beginning to end because it feels a little better. It's like yeah. it's like playing with a fancy metronome, you know? Um mm-hmm. I think where it runs into a problem mostly is uh demoitis. Totally, um, sure. You know where like you know, like it or not, people get used to a certain feel. Um, and then I do think it takes the creativity out of a drummer's hands a little bit where, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of you're kind of setting a precedent for what you want. And, you know, sometimes when a drummer would just hear a guitar part and come up with a, you know, a groove that's totally out of left field or something a little bit different, I feel like those opportunities are going to come less and less when it's yeah, like pre-programmed. Sure. I think that's a great point. I mean, especially when I think too, you know, I, I write vocal melodies and I play guitar and when I'm doing that in a creative world, like on, you know, on, on the computer and I'm building a drum beat, my kick and snare patterns typically just follow the vocal melody. And I know right. that like a lot of times, you know, that all right in the studio, that makes sense. But you know, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of those magic moments when you're in a practice space and the drummer isn't playing to the vocal melody and they're playing to something that's, that's off. And it, it yeah, like, right. it gives you that, that special thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the demoitis, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because we're, you know, we're going into write this Menzinger's album now. We're like putting all our ideas together and I'm very conscious of that where I, I immediately I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, here's my guitar riff. All right, well, let's build a drum beat. And I'm like, slow down, slow down because you don't want to just have everything in everyone's head of being like, okay, that's the song. That's the structure. That's like, it's not that good. You kind of want to make sure that everybody has the room to be able to bring in what they do best without it. Like getting, I don't know, getting to, uh, you kind of show, you show everything in the demo already. Sure. I think there's gotta be a So I think a solution could be something that I've had recently. Like, I've been writing a record with someone else recently. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not, so I'm just not going to. Um, but they've been sending me tracks just with both. 
Okay. Like, That's, you know, yeah. sending me a track with their, you know, drum reference and then sending me a track just with a click. Yeah. Nice. I, that's what I was going to say. That's what I always do. That's working for me. Yeah. And like everything else, it's about communication. Like you can, if you do send, you know, a thing that's just a drum beat that you were playing along to just to keep time, you just, you got to just say that. Say like, look, yeah. this is literally like a glorified, glorified click track, mm-hmm. right? you know, so... Because there have been times when I've sent, when I've used stuff that was like a really particular groove that like, yep. this has got to be the groove. You don't have to, you know, you right, don't have to, right. you don't have to copy the kick and snare exactly, but like the whole vibe of the song is this like, mm-hmm. this thing, you know. And sometimes that's totally, nec- you know, that's where there's a balance here because, you know, um, I'm a drummer who likes to write songs. You know, I have Mm -hmm. no interest in standing out from the band or doing Tommy Lee drum fills and stuff. (laughs) And so if someone tells me like, Hey, like this is the song and this is just the idea. Like I, my instinct is like, okay, I want to see this idea through. Like I want to help this great idea get to where it's going to go. Not make sure I get my idea in there. Um, you know, but then, yeah, I guess it's just balance, you know, after time. Yeah, I would yeah. try sending the double track, you know. I like this du- I like this double track idea because you know what I really, I think it's about. got to upgrade the- your Dropbox, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, need to have more files, yeah. yeah. I, I like the idea of, of having the drum beat. Um, I'm scared, obviously, of, you know, uh, getting the demoitis and being too locked into what those, what the beat says about the song but it does help you find the holes you know when you listen back and you go like okay when you go to the third verse it uh, we're bored you know this something has to change up here the bridge isn't hitting like it really helps you visualize the whole project a lot better than you know the way we've always done it in the past is kind of it would just be like a rough acoustic guitar and vocals and then we would go in with that and then build the whole song from that Mm -hmm. and that's you know that's been great but there's definitely like sometimes where i feel like i've had a little bit more of an idea that I wanted to be able to get across and haven't been able to with just an acoustic guitar. So I like this yeah. double idea though. I think that's, that's the way to do it. Let's go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know like, you know, I've played with some people who have expressed this to me and I wonder if for you, like you think being, you know, one of the singers sometimes takes the shine off of being a guitar player. Do you, do you sometimes resent it? Like, Hey, like, Hey, I rip too, you know, like come, <laughs> come look at me play guitar. Like I'm not just a singer. Yeah. You know, I, um, I love, I love playing guitar. I love, you know, I'm definitely like a gearhead. Um, I, I pr- much prefer to play guitar live than s- to sing. Singing right. kind of sucks. You know, it's so like, you like, it's you like Tom's songs. Yeah. Oh, I love Tom's songs. <laughs> yeah. That's like my point where I could just hit some guitar pedals and yeah, have fun. Right. Um, you know, I like, singing every night it tires you out and your voice yeah. is so sore after and the next day and like you know i mean drums are so physical so i don't mean to to say it like you know one one or the other but <laughs> it's like when when singing, you don't have i'd a, say singing and playing guitar to me at the same time is the only other thing on stage that requires like cardio yeah you know sure, like yeah. like like a drummer and a singer who plays guitar are the only two people who have to like 
jog for a couple of weeks before yeah. the tour, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, so, yeah. So I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. Okay, all right. I mean, <laughs> there's just like the feeling of, of waking up and just not having a voice mm. and knowing that you have to... Like sing for yeah. an hour and a half. It's that must suck. Like it's awful. Yeah. yeah. There's there's been so many times on tour where you're just like, how do I get my voice back enough to make it through tonight? And, and the uh, only way to get it back is to rest. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, how do I rest? I'm on tour. You can't rest. You can't rest. <laughs> it's yeah. like so yeah. What are you are you like uh do you do like the throat coat? Do you have like Oh yeah. Yeah, you do a lot Definitely. of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean if it's if it's in bad shape, it's just like Chug a zillion bottles of water, throat coat, try to sleep as much as possible. Um, you know, I, thankfully I quit smoking way, way. Mm. I was like a teen, I did it as a teenager pretty much. And then like, uh, right when we started touring, I was like, okay, obviously this doesn't work anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so thankfully don't smoke. Um, so that isn't a problem for me. Um, but yeah, drinking, try not to drink, but right. then you get stressed yeah. And you want to have a drink, you know, <laughs> right, but right, then it's right. just like, it's worse for you. But yeah, then yeah. in reality, the stress is the worst part. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's a bad, it's getting, having a few drinks is like the equivalent of like a football player getting like an injection in his knee before a game. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know this isn't great for me, but it's going to make this game feel a lot better. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's just going to make the voice even worse, yeah. but you're like, at least you're not stressing about it all just day. Get me through <laughs> this 90 minutes in Kansas city. We'll yes. figure the rest out. Yep. After. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the beauty though, too, is, is having two singers where if yeah. your Tom's voice is, is in, is in rough shape, we just like, Taylor the set list being like, you know, one or the other take on more songs than we typically That's true. would. So you got an auxiliary. Is, oh my God. Such a lifesaver. I, I couldn't imagine just singing, you know, and being in that situation where there's no one else to kind of yeah. help you out there. That's tough. Well, I have a funny game to play, but since you brought it up, I want to talk about this first. Okay. So I watched, um, you did like a Fender thing where you played, uh, oh, yeah. where you played Anna Mm -hmm. And to me, like, you know, I've been seeing you play for a long time. That was to me, like by far the most confident I'd ever heard your voice. Oh, hell yeah. And, and I was wondering like, you know, over the years, like what, uh, have you started doing any kind of like exercises or practical things over the years to like develop your voice in different ways? No, but I totally should have. <laughs> just, so you just you know, nailed it. You nailed it. By, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, right. I, I definitely warm up. Um, you know, before before singing, um, uh, all the time. Now I, I didn't do that for a long time, but now it's like I, I have to. Right, I have to right. Give myself like a half hour to just warm up and and do all of that. Um, you know, I think singing with well, not in that video, but just in general getting like in-ear monitors really helped with mm. pitch and everything. Oh, um, okay. You know, I think beforehand we were, we were a pretty loud band on stage and we would always, you know, shitty monitors and clubs. Yeah, right. We I just, I'd be shouting all the time. Right. And that's kind of how I sang live for a long time until I didn't really need to do that anymore. And I think, I think I've just, that's kind of helped train my voice a little bit better of not just constantly shouting to be heard and being able to sing a little bit better. Yeah. Was that, was that daunting for you? Like, cause I went through the same thing. Like, you know, when you jump onto these bigger stages, like, you know, for a drummer, it's like that, uh, you know, that rack Tom, you couldn't tell if it was even fucking in tune <laughs> yeah. or not, you know, yep. like at the club. And then 
you're at this big place and it rings out and like, yeah. you know, there's like a dozen nerds in the back hearing like, wah, 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 wah. and you're like, Boom. oh shit, yeah. I have to learn how to tune now. Like, yeah. Did, did you uh, feel yeah, like I, more, I, more exposed almost when you got to those bigger places? For sure. I was, and you know, I, I was the one that was very against it. I, I mm. like for a long time, I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to realize this about myself. I'm, I very much don't like change. Everybody's always trying to change things in the band. I'm like, hey, let's do this. We'll upgrade this. And I'm always like, no, no, no. It's fine. You know? <laughs> and I'm realizing I'm like that I do that and I'm trying not to be that way. That's the old but, Lake Ariel in you, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I was very against in-ears. I, I was like, I, this just is going to suck all the fun out of the show. I love being able to connect with the crowd. And yeah. I, I, we play punk rock songs why do i why do i need to hear everything perfect who cares right. like yeah this the 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 show with the fan and the audience is like that's what it's all about like this so you know that was i was like kind of a hard no but everybody was like really pushing for it and i was like all right you know what i keep blowing my voice out like let's let's try it and you know they were right i was wrong it's it was great <laughs> it did, i think it made the set a lot better i think we we became like tighter band and uh you know it's it just so much easier to sing with it so um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been trying to catch myself sometimes of being like, it's okay to, to change some things up. It doesn't always have to be the same as it always was. That's good. Um, so here's my game, Greg. Mm-hmm. I know you're a lefty guitar player, which is unique. Yeah. And I want to come up with you, the lefty guitarist hall of fame. Okay. <laughs> nice. I got yeah. some names here. I think we should choose five. Okay. Okay. Now, I, ca- I came up with a list. I think it's good and ex- extensive, but please let me know if I'm missing anyone. Okay. Okay, sure. So, my list in no order, and we can choose after this Jimi Hendrix, might have sure. heard of him. <laughs> of course. Uh, Tony Iommi. Classic. Black Sabbath. Paul McCartney. Yep. Also may have heard of him. Kurt Cobain. Have to. Have to. Albert King. Yep. Famous there's blues the, player. There's the five. <laughs> yeah, now we're getting now this is where we're getting tricky. Uh, yeah. Dick Dale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dick Dale. Uh, Omar. Uh at the drive in, Mars Volta, Omar oh, Rodriguez right. Lopez. Yeah, yeah. We got Tim Armstrong. Yeah. Who I think for you could be a dark horse. Yeah. Uh Courtney Barnett. Lefty. Nice we'll artist. Share last name as well. Nice artist. And uh, Ernie C. from Body Count. Oh, all right. Nice. <laughs> Let's toss in Ernie C. Then. Okay, yeah, he, he makes it in. Yeah. Uh, I think you hit Am everybody. Am I missing anyone? Anyone okay. big? Elliot Easton from The Cars. Oh. He, in the left-handed guitar world, uh, is, you know, he's a big one. Okay. Um, That's a deep uh, cut. I like that. You only, you, know, you only ever hear Okasic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he... You know, like when you get into like guitar nerddom and then you get into like lefty guitar nerddom, which is a whole nother <laughs> thing. Another level know? to it. Yeah, he like, you know, he had a bunch of signature models with 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 Gibson and Fender. So he's kind of like up there. I, I would put him up there in the Hall of Fame just because he, you know, really he appreciates his left-handed guitars. Oh, uh, okay. You know, all right, now a non a non-lefty, like he's not a professional musician, but I think we should talk about is uh, John McEnroe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so John McEnroe plays guitar, and there's oh, only wait, I think right. there's only like 
two or three left-handed Les Paul bursts between 58 and 1960, which, you know, cost like half a million dollars. And he owned one. Um, I think he ended up selling it recently, but it was called the McEnroe Burst. I think it's still called that. So he's got his own. Wow. Yeah. So So McEnroe put himself into the lefty guitar narrative. I know, and like good for him. It, it just I think just because he owns such a famous and rare instrument, it yeah. was him and Paul McCartney that owned oh them. So God. he That's gets really to be funny. in this, yeah. So all right, so what are we talking top five? Who's you know, got to be in? You said Cobain's in. Hendrix, obviously. Hendrix uh, in. Yeah, I mean uh, Paul McCartney, but he's a bass player, and he didn't. But he, I mean, he's in the Beatles, so you, you have to put you have to <laughs> yeah, put him in. in. Okay. I right, mean, that leaves us Tony, with two more. Tony Black Sabbath created heavy metal, you yeah. know, like Gotta let's, let's go, let's go. Ahead. And, he, and wasn't he missing a finger? Isn't that part he, of his story? Yeah. He yeah. got his fingertips cut off in a machine shop that he right. worked in. And, um, I think he, he put like super glue on the top and that's kind of apparently how he got like Dude. his really heavy tone. And he, that's why like, he can't fuck with those old English bands, you know? I know. I mean, like, where'd like, you come from? Oh, a steel mill in Birmingham is <laughs> yeah. where I was born, you know? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about like having a tough time on tour and they were just like, oh, you have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, have yeah. no idea. What the guy like. got the black lung pop. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> you know the then the fifth one that that's where it gets tough. Yeah, for, for me, you know, because those I would say are like my my core influences, and then you can kind of you know you can kind of uh, I don't know. It's up for interpretation. So what are we thinking? That. Tim Armstrong, Elliot Easton. I'm going to say Tim Armstrong for yeah. for me. You know, that was obviously a, a huge influence. I'm sure, um, big one. So yeah, I, I'm going to put him in there. Is Tim Armstrong part of the reason you guys used to have Scott parts? <laughs> Probably. I mean, <laughs> we were like, you know, loved Operation Ivy. They're all time favorite band. And then, and then obviously Rancid too. So I remember uh, last time I interviewed you with the rest of the band, I talked about you guys playing Scott for like 15 <laughs> minutes. So I'm not going to do it this time. Yeah. You know, I mean, strangely, Scott's having a comeback, I guess. You it know? is. And, so, and I've become like the Scott. We're the Scott podcast now. <laughs> We've had like six out of like 10. Crazy. It just keeps coming at me. And, you know, as you can imagine, I'm not an avid Scott listener, you know? I I don't (laughs) think so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm... you know, I keep saying that because Eric, I'm like, yeah, Eric, Scott's coming back. He's like, what do you know? It's not. And I was like, dude, no, it kind of is right now. Is. There's like ska band. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So I think I realized. So there's a band called Catbite from Philly, yeah, from which Philly. I'm sure you know it now. And, you know, one thing I realized listening to them, I also really at one point got into the band, the Agrilites. Mm-hmm. And I think I like hornless ska with an organ. <laughs> Very specific, yeah, but like, and it's I very it's, reasonable. I think it's because it reminds me of like, I feel like I'm. It, it can touch like a tinge of like the 50s and 60s. Yep. Sounds like that weird organ, like, you know, like the kinks would use and like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's got kind of a spooky, spookier, cooler kind of feel. And then once that horn hits, I'm out. <laughs> like I'm just like wait what what is this big brass like I'll just listen to Count Basie you know? <laughs> yeah, Basie, yeah yeah you know it's that's a fine line and I guess the the ska that we kind of, here we go we're talking about ska I know we're the uh, ska podcast we might as yeah. well <laughs> like you know when the band first started out the ska bands that well 
everybody, we were in ska bands before that, but it was right. we kind of more into like the choking victim leftover crack uh, okay. kind of shit. Like I was, I, 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 I don't know. Didn't the, the horn stuff never really stuck with me, especially like the ska punk with horns. Right. Uh, you know, I obviously liked less than Jake and big D and stuff like that. I'd go see them, but um, the operation Ivy to like choking victim, that kind of stuff was always more of my favorite. Do you remember a, uh, a uh, part of the show called mystery friend? Mystery friend. Mystery I don't know. Friend. Mystery friend. Oh, Ooh. So this is where, you know, I went ahead and got in touch with some people, you know. Okay. Oh, geez. To find out some things. Uh-huh. Uh, these people told me they have many stories to share, but they only gave me the appropriate ones. <laughs> okay. Nice. That we can share in the podcast. Um, so the funniest one, I'd love to get your story on. And before uh-huh. I'll even tell you the details, I want to let you roll with it. Can you tell me the crewman origin story? <laughs> Oh my God. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Crewman. So I, all right. We, we were in Europe for a European like festival tour in the summer and uh, it was our first bus tour. Okay. And um, we were, you know, obviously very excited. It was a big deal for us. And, um, you know, our first bus tour, we get the shittiest bus that could possibly run. <laughs> and, you know, and then also got the shittiest driver possible. <laughs> he's just like this crazy, he's like, German, but he's kind he's Dutch. He speaks like both. And he, he was crazy. He <laughs> wouldn't, he hated us and he wouldn't like, we would get on the bus and he would just sit like in the, the walkway and he uh-huh. wouldn't leave. He would just smoke cigarettes and he'd try to get around him, but he wouldn't move. Oh so God. I'd be like, uh, and we're like, is this how bus drivers are? And now we're going to, you know, <laughs> so, so this is going on and we, you know, we're touring around and then we're seeing some friends bands and everything. Um, and, about a weekend, he asks us, okay, what, uh, who does what in the band? And everybody's like, oh, I play drums, I play bass. You know, he's like, it took a week know, to whatever. ask that question. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. Had, he did not care. Yeah. He would, well, a side note first, he would also show up to places, and this is where we would play like, you know, a big festival, but then the next day we would kind of be playing like a squat, kind of yeah, like right. shitty place. Sure. And he would show up and just be like, show canceled tonight <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> he's like canceled this if you walk in the club and just be like and just leave all day we're like all right it's not canceled but this guy. <laughs> yeah so he's asking everybody and he goes what do you do and i tell him i'm like yeah i, I play guitar and i sing and he goes no 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 <laughs> like what what do you mean and he goes you crew man crew you are crew man <laughs> And I was, and everybody starts cracking up. I'm like, no, I'm playing. He's like, you could not be on stage. No, you are crew, you are crew man. And I couldn't tell because I, you know, but I'm like, is it because of all black? And he's like, no, you just crew man. <laughs> and then it just became this running joke that every time I walked by him, he's like, ah, crew man, crew man. <laughs> then the last day he was hanging out with us. We were like really trying to crack him to be like, come on, like, yeah. You're going to like us. We, yeah, we're like, right. we're, we're, are going to like us. We're like we're the saying, nicest dudes. Exactly. No one doesn't like us. Like we're so, going to get you. You're good, just like us. <laughs> yeah. So the last day we were like, just come watch a band with us at the festival. And he loved cigars. So we're like, all we'll right. buy a cigar and we'll all have a last night of tour cigar. And he's like, mm, all right. <laughs> so he decides and we're watching the mad caddies play. And we're smoking cigars in the back with this bus driver. <laughs> and then he starts to like us now. And he's like, he pulls me aside and he goes, crewman, one day 
this crowd, they will all chant for you, crew man, crew man, <laughs> and you will be on stage. And I was like, so it kind of just, it stuck. And like now anytime, you know, our crew catches me like, you know, when I'm loading in or something like, oh, crew man, all right. <laughs> Is it still yeah. going? Is anybody oh, still whip going. out a crew man? Yeah, they all, you know, whatever, like, you know, the, our crew, they, you know, they set up and tear down, but like, if we're man short, we'll, we'll like help out and stuff. And they'll see me like, oh, crew man's clocking yeah. in today. All right. <laughs> did you like, did you like the second time you went to Europe and, and like started a tour with a bus driver? Were you just like, oh, like, this is what it's actually like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, that, we just thought that that's what all bus drivers right. were like. And it was funny because right at the, towards the end of the tour, we played with Against Me and we were hanging out with James and he saw the bus driver and he goes, that's your fucking driver? And I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, oh my God, he did, he, we had to have him come on and do like, um, a, as a second bus driver. Oh. And we thought he was going to kill us. Like, they knew him. Like, yeah. they were like, that guy is crazy. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, we've been out with him for a month. He calls me crew man. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it was great. And I, you know, kind of, I haven't seen him since, but I would love to to, to see this driver because now, I mean, he's a legend. I, I heard he called Scott shit TM too. Oh, hated Scott. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> Why? Talk shit TM. Because it wasn't Scott's fault. It was Scott's first time tour managing a bus tour. So he kind of didn't really understand, especially over there too. You don't have generators. So you got to right. have power everywhere. Yeah, right. And like when you show up to a little punk club in Bologna, Italy, like there's <laughs> there's no there's no power. No, so like no. he would just look at us being like, bus off today. And then Whoa. he's like, I'm going to the hotel. Right. And you're Scott, shit, TM, crew man. <laughs> and they would leave and be like, all right, what do you mean the bus is off? He's like, it's off. You can't. And because, you know, the doors are powered. So we would just be like, yes. kicked off the bus today. Oh, my God. And it, Scott just took the brunt of it. Like, yeah. you know, it was it was just like all the big festivals made sense to be in a bus, but then we were still playing these little tiny clubs where it was like, they've never had a bus come through right. kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. That's always so awkward, right? Yeah. And there's like two Belgian, like street punks sitting outside. Like, yeah. <laughs> why are you in a fucking bus? Why like, are you in a bus? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, honestly, dude, like yeah. the van and trailer and in hotel was much more comfortable than the situation oh, that we're yeah. in right now. You know, like dude, those little Euro buses are like, yeah, those oh, things insane. are insane. Oh, it's God. like, the Flintstones, like you can stop them with your feet, like yeah. And yeah. we were just we were on the tour was like a chasing money tour. So we would start in Belgium and then we were like play a festival in Austria, right? Like right. twelve hours away, yeah. and then do like another fifteen hour drive. And we were like, who cares? We're in a bus. But then you realize, like, yeah, but you're in a moving vehicle for fifteen hours. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know, it's nuts. You're just like I'm not driving. I'm fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. You think it's easy? I know that's yeah. too funny, man. So the person, uh, the people I asked about this, you said, we wonder where this guy is. I asked the same question. Uh huh. And they said, he's eating steak and living <laughs> in a field in Germany on the border of the Netherlands as his ancestors have done for a thousand years. Yeah. We'll never see him again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, we'll never see him. He's just, Sounds that's accurate. what he does now. Yeah. So I just imagine the guy like, you know, in like a loincloth eating a turkey leg right now or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he loved it. Uh, he had a model train collection. Oh. And uh, yeah, maybe he's he's doing that. You know what? This is always when humans just fascinate me because, <laughs> you know, 
if you if you told me to like to stereotype the personality type of somebody who's really into model trains, almost everything would be the antithesis of what you told me about this person. I know people have very strange hobbies that you wouldn't yeah. assume. Yeah, because I would think like meticulous, uh, kind of caring, you know, for mm-hmm. like small things, like have this certain nature to take care of model trains. Yeah. It it doesn't add up, but you know. I remember not- there was there was a guy a fair if you ask anyone from the old New Brunswick days, you might even remember him because you played there. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who worked the door at the court tavern in New Brunswick. Okay. Who was like notoriously like just so mean to everyone. It was <laughs> it was comical. It's like to the point after three times it was like fun for me. I was like, all right, let's yeah. see what homeboy does this time, you know? But some people got really upset and used to get into it with the guy and like you know, if you gave him like a $20 bill for an $8 show, he'd give you so much shit for having to make change <laughs> and like, and all this stuff. And then, so he was literally a notorious asshole. And one day I'm delivering pizzas. I have a delivery to Robert Wood Johnson, the big hospital in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And who do I see candy striping? <laughs> this guy. Damn. Working at the hospital, helping invalids in and their wheelchairs and you you never would have thought never in a thousand years so i think sometimes what people give you at work is not always you know what they're giving their people at home you know yeah very very true yeah 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 crazy but anyway so the first the other person the person who told me this you'll probably be able to guess after this i also heard a story that once we were all hammered in the van greg was driving and he got the trailer stuck in a Taco Bell drive-through for like an hour. Oh shit! What happened yeah. there? All right. Well, I don't think it was Taco Bell. I think it was In and Out. Oh, even harder. That's a smaller right. drive-through. I I was very I was always very anti stopping after the show. I was mm. like, I want to get to the hotel as soon as possible and go to sleep. Yeah, but. You know, if I was driving, that means that means that everybody else was drunk and they don't care when they go to bed. They just right. wanted to eat something. So You're at the will of of the drunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This this time in particular, we were we were we uh, on our we were on warp tour for two week stint, and it was you know, as you can imagine, the worst two weeks of our entire lives. <laughs> uh, so, so we we were in a van, and every drive is like eight hours, ten hours long. Um, but we came up with this system where me and Tom would do the night shift drives and then Eric and Joe would do basically after the show, me and Tom would do the whole drive and Eric and Joe would sleep in the van and Scott. And then the three of them would load in the next morning uh. and like get our, get our set time while me and Tom stayed at the hotel and slept as long as we could basically. Okay. Um, and it was actually, it actually ended up working out. I think when everybody was in like a routine of that's how to do it, it was, it was okay for us. Yeah. But yeah, so we're on one of these eight hour long drives and everybody wants food. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. All right, fine. Fuck it. Like it's the last in and out before we leave like the West coast. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I pulled the van and trailer in, into the drive through and uh, I was trying to make a turn, like trying to turn yeah. and just got completely stuck, like brutally oh. stuck. So now van the, or trailer, the, the both were stuck. I couldn't back up because the trailer was like on the plants oh, <laughs> was no. planters and everything. So, and then the van was just like it, it, it was just caught in this weird like turn. And I was like, I, I truly don't know what to do. And the guy, like the the worker, like opened the window and he's like, 
didn't you see the sign? It says no vans and trailers. <laughs> I look at him like, it's a little too late for that sign, really man. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know? So everybody had to, there was, now there was like a really long line in the drive Yeah, was it just people behind you like, I need my so animal pissed. style. Yeah. They were so pissed. And so Scott got out and was like, this is going to be a while. And we just kind of slowly you know, worked its way out and I had to like hop over a median and destroy all these plants. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's it sucked. It was like, I was just in this position where I was just like, I don't know what to do and yeah. we're just stuck, guys. I, I, I'm I sorry. Like, I, I can't get us out of this. Yeah, you must have been so pissed. I was so pissed. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, Already on a tour that none of us wanted to be on. It was like a zillion degrees. Yeah. No one was watching us either. We weren't making any money. And it was like, now I'm stuck in like Reno, Nevada or something. It's one of those times when you're just like, yeah, this is just, none of this is worth it. Yeah. (laughs) This is, what am I doing? This is my life. Yeah. Yeah. A bad fucking decision, man. Yeah. I've I've been there so many times. (laughs) I I was even in a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru the other day. And I jumped the curb and my first thought automatically was like, fuck, like that would have sucked in a van and trailer. <laughs> yeah, like, right. It's like the old, I'm like Pavlov's human, you know, like, yeah, I just, yep. I just think like that. Well, that's funny. So as you can imagine, can you guess who, who told me all these stories? It was it Tom May. Yeah. One of them. Yeah, right. So I, I used, I used my unique privilege. I have. Of being able to text every member of the Menzingers. And <laughs> nice. I just hit all of them up at the same time. Like, yo, awesome. give, me, give me some shit about Greg. I heard about yeah. a sketchy bungee jumping in a Polish field. Oh, yeah. Like, all yeah. sorts of fun stuff. And then on yeah, top that- of that, all these stories apparently I can't hear about. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bungee jumping one, that... I, I didn't go first. It, we were playing a festival and they had this sketchy crane in the middle of, oh. of this, in this festival. And, you know, even when I describe the scene, like you kind of don't believe it. you're like, yeah, sure. But there's literally like an old man who is drinking a pint of vodka oh, operating the crane. <laughs> and Scott and Tom went first. They went at like noon, like right wow. when they got there. Oh. They didn't even load in yet. They were like, <laughs> we were doing the bungee jumping. And they did it. And then Scott's eyes were like bloodshot for days. I don't know. Oh, really? With the blood. Yeah. And then we all just start partying. And now the, you know, now I'm like, oh, obviously I want to do this. Yeah. And th- that's when I went. But I cut the line and I was like, I was in a band. I played earlier. Can I, can I cut everybody? And they just kind of put me on and I'm all strapped up. And I get to the top, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I can't believe I'm going to do this." And the guy just pushed me off of oh, the crane. No. <laughs> yeah, straight up, just shoved me, and that was it. No words, no anything, just a nothing. Push? Yeah, just oh. pushed. Yeah. Oh, I love Polish people. They, uh, yeah, same. It was one of the. It was one of the most fun festivals. Terrible for us to play because it was all metal bands, but it was right. such a fun hang. And the crane only made it. Even oh, more I love fun. he pushed you. Just you will go. Yeah, he's just like, now. It was like, <laughs> now it's time. Yeah. <laughs> like, he wasn't going down. <laughs> it's so funny because I've, I've been on stage many times looking at someone jumping off that crane <laughs> from stage being like, wow, who the fuck is doing that in the middle of <laughs> yeah. a festival right now? Like, yeah. No, I guess it's you. 
We did. We played a festival together, Gaslight. Uh, I don't know if it was Area Four, one of those German ones. Yeah. And I don't know if you came on with us, but there was like a Jägermeister crane. It was a whole <laughs> Jägermeister bar, and they lifted it up. That's right. And your feet dangled, and they passed out a shot, and everybody like kind of took a shot of Jäger, and then they just lowered you down. <laughs> I remember it. I didn't go, yeah. but I remember. Yeah, gotcha. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Watching stuff like that was the reason, like. You know, at a certain point, I was like, fine, I'll sign to a major label. <laughs> like, like Jägermeister's yeah. been paying me for years anyway without right. even knowing it. So, yep. okay, <laughs> who cares? So, one other interesting thing I found looking into this interview, Greg, or is mm-hmm. it Greg Orr now? Uh, I mean... I, I, you can't like if you're meeting me for the first time and it was like uh, under a solo thing and you called me Gregor. That's like that's one thing, but you can't really ask like I can't really ask like an old friend to do it. It's like a little right. awkward. It's like know? changing <laughs> their pronoun. It's yeah, just like I'm just Greg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fine. You know, but but do you yeah. expect a new person like you meet someone new now? Are are you like if they were like hi Greg, you'd be like no 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 like Gregor. No, it's whatever they want. Okay, truly, yeah. So what? Why did why did you choose to to switch it for the solo thing? Well, I already had the email address. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> no, no, big uh, part and, of it. Yeah, you know, I, I just I don't know. I just I was like I was doing this whole thing, and it's a really personal album. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, you kind of as a band, you you have cover with a band name. You know, you don't. It's yeah, not just your name, right. and even just like. Like this, which has just felt a little bit different than Greg, which everybody kind of refers to me as. Like it just felt like I had a little bit more of a cover of of revealing myself, I guess, of of not like hmm. I don't know. Um, and I yeah, it just felt kind of just felt right. It just felt like you know, it's a nickname, and uh, why not try to do something a little different? So yeah, yeah, it was like let's let's try it. Well, it definitely makes you stand out more on the internet because there are a couple. <laughs> Greg Barnett's kicking around the internet, you know. And Greg Barnett kind of just sounds like a used car salesman. Like, doesn't <laughs> does it doesn't have that it's that exciting of a thing? And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to do something, st- I guess, stick out a bit more. So you know, be careful up- though. There is a downside that uh, you 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 end up not getting as many credits on things like uh, you know discog mm. disc- discogs and things like that. I- you know, that's all the stuff you don't think through and then it's real. Yeah. I, my, <laughs> the first album I ever made, uh, I, you know, was just, you know, a half-assed punk rock goofball. And I just put down my nickname at the time, which was Vladimir, which mm-hmm. was literally nice. last. That, that nickname lasted for about two years <laughs> nice. and then went away. Uh, and now, you know, now I, I think I'm, I have like three different names under three different albums. That's I did funny. hear um, David Bazan say something about that, where he was like, if I can go back in time, what would I tell myself? Put everything under one title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like some of his albums are like different band names and different projects. And then like, I guess you don't really think like how streaming and all that stuff is going to work where right. you know, if you want to listen to something and then you're like, oh no, now it's under that band. It's under this, it's under that. Like, But as a fan, I always kind of liked that. I liked... The hunts, I guess, you know. Yeah, and like, I, I think you, you know. I like more. your reasoning. The basically, you're branding yourself, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I lucked out with the Benny thing because there's there's a very famous like uh, entrepreneur book writer 
named Ben oh. Horowitz. Oh wow. He's, he's like he's like how to make millions, you know, like one of those guys. And he's <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. famous. Um but I did change like for American slang, I put Ben on the Oh you did? Yeah, I was like it was like I just turned 30 mm-hmm. and I thought like Ben was more like grown up mm-hmm. than Benny. I was like, all right, here's my chance to like be more and I immediately regretted it. I just don't <laughs> don't like it at all. Um it's I can't think of you as a Ben. No. But yeah. strangely, I don't know exactly how or why it happens, but at some point people who know me a really long time and get to know me better start calling me Ben. Hmm. Like they change, they switch. Like the gaslight guys call me Ben, like huh. and stuff like that. Like people who know me a long time start calling me that. It's weird. And they're That's the only people who do. It's like when uh, you yeah. change from daddy to dad. Is that it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, they, grow up. yeah. they grow up with Ben. Benny. I know. Okay. But did you know, Greg, that your last name is uh, ecologically unfriendly? It, it is. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up your last name just out of curiosity. Okay. And this is what I find, Okay. Mm-hmm. The present generation of the Barnett family is only the most recent to bear a name that dates back to ancient Anglo-Saxon culture of Britain. Their name comes, in quotes, from having lived on or near land cleared for cultivation by burning of the forest. Wow. <laughs> that is complete news to me. Very so, interesting. Your people were the ones who either clear-cut forests or lived right next to it. All right. That's, you know, that's really good to know. The only thing uh, I, I'm tr- I always try to trace it back. Um, and, you know, my, my grandpa, when he was alive, he would always just be like, I'm like, what, where, where did Barnett come from? And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, who cares? You know, like you're an, you're American, whatever. Don't, <laughs> right, don't right. you know, who gives a shit? Uh, but Dear my, style. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then, so I, I did know that there was a John Barnett that came over in the, I think the early 1800s. And I think he was from England. I didn't hear anything about burning down land, but I guess <laughs> I'll have to add that to his title. Yeah. Yeah. It's in your past. I'm sorry to Damn, say, man, have you ever like, you know, just felt like the urge to burn things and you didn't know why <laughs> it's like a DNA thing. Uh, yeah, it's just in there. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. You know, well, no, this is on my mom's side. My my grandfather on my mom's side was was a firefighter, uh, okay. New York City firefighter. So maybe See? there's, I don't. Well, that would be the difference. I don't know. Yeah, there's something here. There's something there. Look, yeah. just look into it a little. Let me know if. Let me know <laughs> if you, you you could be sitting there at night going like, oh, you know what? I did like to burn that stuff when I was a kid. I always yep. wondered why. I, I mean, I do have a lighter right next to me for no reason right now. So maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're moving forward here, um, you know, how does like and something I obviously consider because, you know, our bands have kind of, you know, taken similar paths in a lot of ways. Like, you know, in the current context of music and putting out music, you know, how do people who play like, you know, just guitar driven rock in this modern age, like how do you age gracefully right now? Like how do we get into our thirties and forties playing this music without just being like out of touch old white guys? 
Yeah, I know. Isn't that like the million dollar question right there? Kind of. I, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's really tough. I, I think about it a lot, but then you, when you kind of think back on the, like, I don't know, like, I, th- I think it's just like always just trying to write honest music, whether it's successful or not, mm. and not trying to, to pander to, you know, what your, your own fans might want or kind of just pander to what's what's popular or something. And I think that it's got to be like every band kind of thinks the same thing, right? They're always kind of, you're always afraid of like taste change so quickly. One day you could be drawing this many people in a city and then the next year it's, you know, half of that or something. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's no real good formula besides just being honest and being good people and being the kind of, band or artists that, you know, other people want to support and they, they, they want to go on tour with and, you know, having a good reputation in the music industry of just being honest people, I guess. Like, it's like, there's not really this like magical thing. No, no. But your instinct is not to like bend to it. Your instinct is to just be like, this is what I do. Stay in my lane. Keep it keep it clean and honest and just that's all I can do pretty much. That's, that's pretty much how I would think of it. I think of like the bands that when you look back and you know, there's, there's, when you think of Fugazi or something, they have this like reverence that everybody's like, you know, you always look to that like, Oh man, they were so cool. And they, you know, they just kind of did how they wanted to do it. And, and now, and now people look at it and they're like, wow, that's, that's incredible. And you know, we, we just did a tour with the Descendants and right. we, we got to hang out with, with Bill, hang out with all of them. But we'd have these like l- long conversations with Bill about, you know, longevity and being in a band and stuff. And it's just kind of really fascinating. You know, you just they if, as long as you continue to love it and you continue to be excited about it on stage every day, I think everybody kind of picks up on that. And I mean, it's so cool to watch a band like that is because they just, they're still so happy to be yeah, playing together. Right. And that's just like, to me, so inspiring to, to watch and to be around, um, you know, and cause you know, you've, you've played with older bands and you, they look like they don't even like each other. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you're, you're playing with like them and they have huge smiles on their faces. Yeah. Like it's so cool. Yeah. You might've brought up like one of the better examples of a band who just, knows how to happily stay in their lane and just mm-hmm. do it well and, you know, kind of keep that outside thing out. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I mean, so that being said, after all these years, I mean, you've been writing songs for a good, what, 20 years now, maybe yeah, more. Right. Like so, that, yeah. you know, how's your, like, you know, I know this is probably a long, long winded question. Like, has there been any like really major, changes in like your approach to songwriting and are there any like steadfast you know facts or tidbits you would like be like hey young songwriter this is this is a good way to go yeah you know i i would say technology is something that's that's changing the process for sure um definitely the introduction of of writing with a computer is is becoming more common than it ever really was in the past. Sure. Um, I'm trying, you know, definitely don't want to just rely on that. I think I've always wanted to keep every avenue open when writing, and I try not to be like, well, don't do it that way. Do do this. It's like wherever the inspiration comes, 
I just let it happen instead mm-hmm. of kind of putting rules of how it should happen and when it should happen. Sure. Um, I, the, the one thing that has always really worked for me is to just kind of always be in a mindset of, of writing music and everything that I, I try to absorb if I'm reading a book or I'm watching a movie or anything, I'm, I'm always just taking notes and mm-hmm. um, I'm like thinking about, I'm just always trying to stay in a, a songwriting mindset. And I mm-hmm. think when I, and I really only ever pop out of it on tour because it just kind of becomes more about the day-to-day of being on tour. But I just always try to stay in that where I could, any moment I could like pull the car over and have to like start singing into it, you know? And right. that to me... um I feel like that's a, a way I've kind of developed and hopefully, um, you know, I've gotten better over the years of just um, learning how to harness creativity um, and, but also like realize that it's not just this magic thing. You know, you really have to work for all the ideas to, to get that eureka moment. Like, right. Right. At least for me, I need, I need a lot of like content, a lot of notes and a lot of like, thinking about music for it to come. I can't just be like, oh, it's just I picked up a guitar today. It's like right, you need right. I need the the building blocks there for it to happen. It's interesting. Now, like when you're when you're setting things up like that where every opportunity is a chance to be creative, like, you know, which means I could go to the supermarket and something in this aisle might spark an idea for a line or a feeling or something mm-hmm. like does living that way, do you, do you have to, do you start kind of creating situations to like almost help your creativity? Like, like, uh, are you at the supermarket and you're like, I gotta do, I gotta be a little surly here. I gotta do something to try and get something out of the supermarket. Does it like put pressure on daily life almost? Absolutely. Yeah, it for sure does. And I, I, sometimes I think of like, you know, is is this like healthy for you to always <laughs> right. constantly yeah. be in this right, mindset? Right. You know, like yeah. you know, I, I it's so rewarding um, when you when you write something that you're really excited about, and you know, and you can share it with your bandmates, and you see they they get excited about it as well, and you know that just makes me feel really good. And now doing a project on my own, being able to do this, I, I get the you know that feeling as well. Um, yeah, it's you know, I um. I'm in the, I'm almost finished. I'm re, you know, you, all of a sudden I, I find myself, I'm like, man, you've been reading crime and punishment today for a long time, just looking for a line and ideas <laughs> right, and stuff right. where I'm like, oh man, all right, what's up now? You know, it's like depressing novels and stuff where you're <laughs> right. like, you're looking for inspiration and in things everywhere. It's like, you know, it can be like kind of tedious sometimes, yeah. but you know, I think the reward is, is pretty high. Um, Sounds and, like you need a safe space from yourself. Like yeah, 20 minutes yeah, a day or something, you know? I know. But then <laughs> when I do it, then I'm just uh, like, I'm like, oh, just go play some video games and, and zen out. But then I'm like, I don't know. I'm just back in it. I have to put it down. And I, I want to like always be working towards it. Yeah. Towards something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like a blessing and a curse. I mean, you know, like I've been doing this a long time and played with a lot of people. And, you know, more often than not, the people who have kind of live with that obsessive singular focus are usually the most successful people. Hmm. Um, but they're not always the most happy. 
So yeah, like, true. so there's, yeah. I don't know what the balance is there, but you know, you got to find it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily I will say I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty happy person, yeah, um, you know, but I definitely, I definitely see that because, you know, there's times where you just get so involved in it and uh, you know, you sometimes I think about it too, where you get so involved with, with trying to find inspiration and things that um, you can write about that you're missing life. Right. That's inspiring. Like, I just want to eat right this there. pancake. I don't want to think about the lyric, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like being on a trip and, you know, being in your head thinking about music when you're there with, like, your partner. And you're like, no, this is this is the inspiration. Enjoy these right, moments. Right. Don't be, like, thinking of how you can think of it in a different way to... Yeah, yeah. so it takes, so, like, discipline to actually just stay there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I've heard that complaint about me of before of just being like, <laughs> you feel like you're never really there. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I am. It's just, you know, it's partially. You're kind of, I'm working, I guess. Yeah, my body's here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's enough for you, guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome, man. Well, I want to keep it light for my last question, okay? Cool. Yeah. So as it's noted thousands of times from the Scranton area, which is, Famous in pop culture for The Office, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Not the president, ironically. Um, <laughs> nope. But, he could not touch The Office. Yeah, yeah. much more uh, much more Michael Scott than Joe Biden for whatever reason. And obviously, I have it with New Jersey for The Sopranos. And, mm-hmm. and as much as I resent it, yes, I do have various types of insider knowledge just because, like, it was filmed right around here and I totally. know all these spots. So what's a little info or something a normal person wouldn't have about the office that you know because you're from there (laughs) (laughs) well i mean obviously uh, off the bat anytime they're outside it clearly looks like California. It does not look like Scranton. Yeah, you know, right, there's, yeah, right. there's a mountain. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. they say they go to Lake Wampalpac and there's like yeah. palm trees in the background, <laughs> you know? So it's like, that's very obvious. I never even noticed that. Oh, no. yeah. I you totally know, noticed that. That's funny. Yeah. So that's the, that's the one off the bat. Okay. One of my favorite things about the office, though, is they do use a lot of, of small town, like small Scranton references. Okay. That I think a lot of other people would miss. Um, you know, there's like a Froggy 101, that's the country right. radio station in town. Uh-huh. They'll have a sticker there. Uh, Crystal Club Soda, that was a, a local Scranton soda brand. Oh, yes. um, and that they have like in their vending machines, it'll be like Crystal Club. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so they, I think that's kind of one of the reasons that people love from Scranton, love the show so much, is that they really, they they didn't just phone that that part in. They really, you know, arguing, like ordering pizza, you know, they're ordering it from places, you know, Alfredo's oh, like nice. right so that's that's like a real you know a real place that it, you know is pretty isn't pretty that argument like what's the best pizza place part of the episode it is and what's funny so which is, is the best well they there isn't an there isn't an Alfredo's I forget how does it go Alfredo's cafe I think that's what it's real place is see I'm, I don't I'm not from Scranton so I don't have the like <laughs> if I said this to the band they'd be like what you don't know Alfredo's so I just called it Alfredo's but then there's like pizza by Alfredo's 
and one of them doesn't exist. And I heard in an ah. office podcast, because I'm a nerd, um, <laughs> they, you know, they wanted to create a fake one because they didn't want people ripping on like an actual business in Scranton. Oh, you I know, see. so they weren't like gonna all of a sudden be like, oh no, we only go here. We don't go there. And that'd be a real place and everyone there be like, oh, what the hell? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know, get, this is pretty reviews. funny. I Googled that real fast and there's all these like articles about people like I t- man, my family took a trip to Alfredo's Pizza. Yeah, like, yep. like like it's like uh, yeah, it's like going to Tony Soprano's house or something. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, funny. Alfredo's is great. Uh, it's yeah, it's awesome, and it's funny that like they definitely get a lot of tourists. And another one was like Poor Richard's Pub, the oh, um, right. the bar yeah. they always go to. That one is really strange for tourists to go to because it's a bar in the a bowling alley, <laughs> and it's like a very uh, you know, pretty down and it's a dive bar and the bowling alley is like, you know, I don't want to say run down, but it's like, you know, not, a, I'm just picturing somebody from like New York city coming and being like, this is the bar that we go to. It's right, like, right. yeah, it's pretty rough around the edges, but yeah, it's pretty great. So, but, but all in all, it has the, uh, it has the blessing of the locals. Oh yeah. I, I would say so. I mean, we're, we're all obsessed with it. I mean, every I don't know, everyone I know is. It, it was like such an awesome thing. Um, and then they would always come to to Scranton, the 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 cast. Uh Michael Scott never came until they Scranton did a big parade for the office when when it it um at, when they, they had their finale. Oh, he didn't come su- until the finale. But he surprised everyone. I don't think oh, he was supposed cool. to come. And then he came and it was like a big deal. But like, kind of like the minor characters, they they come around a lot. Like oh, right. Joe Joe met um, Kevin at a bar once, and okay. he was just like, "Whoa, Kevin!" And he's like, "Yes, yeah." <laughs> so this is what see, I like, do. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, of course, I'm here. You know, so they'll come around. Well, I know by having kids that Kevin is the voice of the bear on Trash Truck. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. So he's he's him. out there still. I mean, he's out there. Nice. Is there anyone like you went to high school with in Lake Ariel that you're just like, oh my God, that's that person from the office? Like, is, did they just <laughs> nail one of them? Like, did you have an Angela? Did you have a Kevin? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, I, not off the top of my head okay. I, I, that I could think of. And I, you know, I, when I watch the show, I think like, I think, I've heard other people say this too, that who never worked in an office setting like that of being like, huh, that actually looks kind of nice, you know? Yeah. And I think the design of the show is that it's supposed to be so monotonous and so boring, but you know, I, I'm like, that, that actually looks like it could be kind of fun. Um, I think to people uh, like us, there's a weird, like romantic idea of like waking up every day in the same place. Yeah. Driving like 11 minutes every (laughs) day to the same spot and walking into the same place. Like it does sound like nice and kind of relaxing, but I do imagine that we'd probably want to kill ourselves after a few weeks. Yeah. I'm not cut out for that world whatsoever. You know, if you're, you're sitting there trying to get song lyrics after three weeks of sitting in the office. Yeah, be and a lot of, next there. Yeah, be yeah. a lot of copy machine songs, you know? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Greg, that was fun. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's always fun. You're such yeah, a nice guy. I like talking to you. <laughs> all right, so we all waited for it, Brad. My God, oh, my Christmas, my hopeful story. Your so, hopeful story. I, You know, you told me about this... 
the the little girl in pigtails, like you know, licking soft ice cream as she smiled at you. I I already have a very Norman Rockwell look at what your day was like. So please, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna make this story longer than it needs to be, just because I want you to understand where my head has been the last week. So I rented a car a few days ago for the holidays. I had to go out to the shop when I came back, and my neighborhood had no place to park at all. Like there's a garage that. When I'm really, really, really desperate, I'll put it in the garage. The garage was full. So I drove it all the way up to the East Village, jumped in a cab, made a note of where it was because I knew that I was fucking out of my mind. (laughs) Right. Came home. And like two days later, my wife went to get it and she got there and this road work was happening up there in the East Village and they'd move the car. This is a thing that happens in New York. Whoa. Really? And she knew right away what had happened because it had just happened to a friend of hers. They will like... So they, they don't will, tow it to a lot? No, they, they relocate it, it to what? an empty spot in the neighborhood. And I don't know how they can find... How does this happen? I don't know how they find these empty spots considering that like there's not that many parking spots. And how do you put them in? It's not like you can parallel park I don't a know. towed car. They do it. They do it. It's a thing they do in New York. And sometimes, I mean, what? if they have advance notice, they'll post like no parking right, here. Right, right, sure. But sometimes they don't, you know, they don't have notice or whatever and so they just do it. So how do you know? How do you know your car is not stolen? You gotta walk around in circles and find your car (laughs) okay anyway she couldn't find it and she went to the police station and the the end of that story is that i was so out of my mind that i told her that it was in a different location i told her it was on b and 9th street it was really on b and 11th street oh she hadn't seen the car before because i had rented it that day Uh, right it's not like the old family car Yeah, yeah i described it to her and i thought anyway she spent like a few hours trying to find this damn car. Um, it's a rough one. And then I figured out, oh, fuck, it was 11th Street. But <laughs> while she was at the police station, yeah, she got to witness the heartwarming sight <gasps> of these two, like, obviously, obviously exuding wealth people being arrested. <laughs> Ooh, for what? And, like, I, she didn't find out what it was for, but it was like... It was like in a movie. They came in of their own volition. Obviously, the police had called them in. But as soon as they came in, the cops arrested them. Huh. And like, the guy, they wouldn't, they weren't, they, they didn't say this in words, but they were exuding this attitude of like, no, you can't arrest us. We're rich. <laughs> like the guy was like, okay, well, you know what? Let, I'm going to go outside and make a phone call. And the cops are like, no, you're not going <laughs> to have this work. Like yeah. you're not even getting your call yet. Like we're reading your, your rights. And wow. like the woman started to like, she's like, I got to, I, I'm going to get a sandwich. I'll come back. And like, to the point <laughs> where the, the cop that was dealing with my wife was talking to the, the, the other cops were like, Sergeant, get over here right now. Like, they had to call in all hands to literally, like, subdue these two people who were, like, not because they were, like, resisting so much as they just were not acknowledging it. And they were trying to walk off to, like, go use the phone and go get a sandwich. Like, it's so out of their realm of possibility that they didn't even understand what was happening to them. Yeah. Wow. Do you, and you have no idea what they were being arrested for? No. But they were definitely arrested and cuffed and taken into the back after that. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm fascinated to know what it was. I know. I I wish there was a way to find out. I guess. What's your theory? Have you thought about it? Who knows? Who knows, dude? I mean, my first guess is like 
those assholes who drive like the really, really nice cars in New York and don't pay attention to parking stuff who probably just owe like $10,000 in back parking tickets oh, yeah. and have warrants out for could their could be arrest. something like that. You know, but that's probably my like, you know, maybe they fucking raped and murdered someone. I don't know. Just because they're rich doesn't mean they couldn't have done something gnarly, you know? Maybe Whatever total it was, pieces they, of shit. Like, they didn't think they were going to get arrested or yeah, they just didn't yeah. understand the fucking impact of being arrested. That's really funny. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it. I know. Me too. That would just yeah. warm my heart. Especially after being at Saks all week. Like. Oh, right, right. Like that. That's like the... Like the real life case of like when someone like passes you on the right going like 95 miles an hour being the biggest fucking dick and then you see him pulled over like later. Oh, years ago when I was in college, I had the best instant karma experience. We were driving. It was me and a bunch of buddies were driving up to like Montreal for the weekend and we got into a snowstorm and it was sketchy and like. I mean, we're like 19, 20 years old. So like when I say it was sketchy, like for us, like, you know, it must have been pretty sketchy because at that point I was I'd grown up driving in snow and was immortal in my mind. So so we were driving carefully, trying not to fucking slide off the road. And here comes this car like eh, like passing us like way too close, like freaked us out. Fish channel a little bit like. And it was like a bunch of other like teenagers or fucking 20 somethings like, and I was like, fuck. And the guy driving who's like pretty much unfazed by anything was, was like, fuck shit. Like he thought they were going to hit us when they came around like too fast. They go flying up the road and sure enough, we get like two miles up and the car is there like upside down. They're all out of it. They're, they're okay. Or at least they're, you know, they weren't dead. And we just like we we cracked the windows and we're like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like not stopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's too funny, man. I had like the reverse lesson of that. I'll I'll make my story quick. I'm sure we're going long. I was working a late night at the Super Saver Liquor Locker. And I got off, you know, maybe ten or eleven, and I'm heading on to the highway. Somebody cuts me off going onto the on-ramp so bad that I spun out Ugh. in the middle of a, a highway on-ramp, you know? Like, luckily, it was later at night, uh, and, you know, there wasn't anyone else around, and I kind of had one of those, like, all right, I'm holding my wheel. I'm still alive. Car has stopped. All right. I guess nothing happened. Good. I'm not dead. Jesus. And then I pick up, and I'm like, those motherfuckers. And I just crank it. Like, I'm like, I'm fucking getting them. (laughs) And I drive, I'm going 80, 90, whatever miles per hour. Like I'm fucking enraged. I don't even know. Yeah. And I catch up. Oh no. And it's like two, probably people like my age, like driving who are so petrified of me. Really? Like, oh my God, dude. Like I am like, off my like who knows what I'm even saying I'm tailing him I'm bright I'm going crazy and I finally pull to the side and I look and I'm like oh my god I'm like I'm insane right now like and I remember having this like quick like wait 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 wait. this is this is making nothing better what am I doing you know like oh god and it was one of those good lessons because I, I I don't often get mad on the road I like I like fucking with people, but I don't 
I don't get mad, you know? All right. Ask my wife. I'm all about blocking people in. It's my game. Oh, yeah, I'll, dude. I'll box people in all day long. Road well, justice. this... This isn't fun for a podcast. We're telling <laughs> personal stories about no. driving around. No fun. Let's get out of here. But, so uh, every, everybody listen to Greg's new album. Get the new song. Get the new album. Please. Follow him at Gregor Barnett, as you heard. It's as you heard. On yes. Twitter and Instagram. There's no why. Just Gregor Don't Barnett. fucking call him Greg. <laughs> Don't do it. And at the Menzingers as well. Um, but yeah, check out the album. Uh, you know, if you like what you hear, you can give us some reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, you mm-hmm. could give us a tip and Venmo at Off Track. Mm-hmm. You could uh, become a patron if you mm-hmm. really love us. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that we might have a little bit of bonus material from the end of this one about I believe so. mushrooms that and we, we have a weekly post up there. Patreon chat that now that Brad is done with his job, he might join us. Every <laughs> I, I will definitely, think? I will definitely be joining the chat. Hey sure. Neil, can you send Brad a tweet, please? Can you send him a, a piercing tweet. He needs one. <laughs> yeah, Neil, since you're the only one listening at this point, <laughs> you know what I want to leave us with today, Brad, please. It yeah. goes like this. Oh yes, ladies. I'm really being sincere. Because in a 69, my humpty nose will tickle your rear. My nose is big. Uh-huh. I'm not ashamed. Big like a pickle. I'm still getting paid. Come on. Yeah. It's humpty a good is a poet. I like it. I like He's it. He's a poet. It's just listening Gone to too that. soon. Gone too soon. Big ups. Big ups. All right. Well, thanks for listening to uh, this podcast. And we will see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>